0: we're looking at is of Air Force One. Joe Biden, the U.S. president, has landed in Israel. He arrives here in Israel. I mean, what must be going on uh, in his mind? Greeting Benjamin Netanyahu, Israel's prime minister. The men know each other well. They've known each other uh, for decades. President Biden has been coming to this region for 50 years now. The U.S., says over and over again what a close ally Israel is, that it will unwaveringly stand by the side of Israel. But it has also expressed deep concern about the unfolding and increasing humanitarian crisis uh, in Gaza
1: at the moment. And happy
2: Sunday and welcome to the deal. I'm your host, Ed Clark. It is Sunday, October 22nd, 2023. And we're so happy you decided to join us because there's a whole bunch to talk about. And uh, if you're if you're watching the podcast, uh, Val Atkinson is not at the beach. I know he wants us to believe he is, but uh, so if you if you have to catch it on uh, the video podcast, uh, Val Atkinson is trying to fake us out. Hey Val,
1: hey. <laughs> how you doing? Dude? You, you you exposed me from jump street I, I wanted somebody at least to think for a minute that uh, this brother is chilling man he's chilling out at the beach and everything and still talking on the deal
2: well well the reason why I expose you is because that would be too good because it's it's a whole bunch of shenanigans going on in the world nobody should be relaxing uh, let alone you <laughs> I know so so I I want, I wanted to make it clear that you were not relaxing. Uh, just like I'm not, I, I have a lot of consternation, Val, about uh, what's going on in the world and in the lead-in to the program and the, and the clips and the lead-in, the last one we showed was Joe Biden, and he visited Israel, and he met with Benjamin Netanyahu, and you saw him hugging Netanyahu, and you also saw him meeting with the what they call war cabinet in Israel. Now, uh, I have, I have some consternation over that. I, I understand why Joe Biden may have wanted to go to Israel and show his support, but he went into a war zone, put himself at risk um, uh, for this. Uh, and, and, and so I'm gonna make everybody mad real quick, right off the bat. Uh, uh, U- U.S. support for Israel has been unambiguous, I think, for at least the last 50 years, right? Uh, I'm not sure Joe Biden needed to go there to reiterate that. I do know that uh, everybody keeps saying this is the worst attack on Jews since the Holocaust. I get that. Uh, But, uh, Val, uh, we've talked about this before. There are conflicts going on all over the world. Uh, Israel is a strategic ally for a number of reasons, which I'm going to let you (laughs) explain to people uh, why we're so supportive of Israel. But let's start with. Joe Biden's trip to Israel wasn't necessary because, like I said, I think the support for Israel is unambiguous from at least the U.S. government perspective. And in the danger that it posed for him trying to go over there in the first place, w- w- what was this trip for to Israel?
1: I think, Ed, that Joe Biden unnecessarily took this trip to Israel to get out in front of the parade, as it were. Uh, the accidental drum major, he finds a parade going on and he jumps and get out in front and then says he he's leading the parade. Well, he, he knew the sentiment of what was going on here in America and he wanted to get out front letting people know that he is a real uh, Israeli ally and he supports the Israeli causes and da-da-da-da-da right down the line. Well, I don't think it was necessary. This is a war zone. He's the commander in chief, the chief executive of the uh, executive of the nation. He should not put himself at risk, expose himself in that manner in a war zone uh, to get a few press clippings and that sort of thing. So I, I think it's wrong headed. Uh, he shouldn't have done that. All of the platitudes that he spouted out while he was there, we've heard them again and again and again. You know, no one wants to see anyone die unnecessarily, uh, especially children and the elderly and women. We all get all of that. You shouldn't try to make points on making more about it, as the press seems to do in their gaslighting. Seems that they want to make people uh, feel bad about things. They want uh, to make people get emotional on the air. Maybe that builds ratings and those kinds of things. Presidents should not be in that sort of thing. And I'm glad that you mentioned that we're going to talk about the history and from whence all of this came and how did we get to be where we are? Because I've, I've done some research over the last week or so that I think people ought to be aware of. So I'm, I'll, I'll be glad to chime in when we get to that portion of this topic.
2: Yeah, you know, here's the other thing, Val, about, um, about him putting himself at risk going over there, um, it, it, you know, to prove a point, like you said, that, you know, showed that, you know, I don't know, I guess he had, he's on top of the thing or whatever. Um, there's a lot of people who are afraid to make any kind of criticism of Israel, good, bad, or indifferent. Um my take on this is that the problem has been for a long time is that the settlements that the Israelis uh, have been building uh, that encroach even closer and closer to the Palestinians and also, uh, you know, without a doubt, uh, uh, don't stand up to what all the UN resolutions say about where the Israelis should be in terms of territory uh, puts a very difficult uh, a strain on the Palestinian people to the point where um, if you're in Gaza you can't get electricity you can't get water you can't get supplies without it coming through Israel now uh, I understand that Israel has had a, a number of conflicts with uh, Arab nations like Egypt uh and also with the palestinians and have a quiet territory and they'd like to have a buffer but they don't even have a buffer anymore uh when we saw those attacks we talked about it the last time we were on when we saw those attacks literally gaza's here and they've built israeli towns and settlements right next to the border there is no buffer uh, I, I said before that I did not disagree with killing women and children and grandmas and all that stuff. I, I I don't know if, uh, Hamas had planned this out as well. Now it was orchestrated, but I don't think it was well planned out so, so that it was just strategic and it was more of a, uh, a, a military operation. It turned out that a lot of civilians were killed. Uh, my problem though, is that this whole notion that, uh, Israel, uh, is exactly where it should be, you know. The people are living where they should. Be. I don't believe they are, Val. And so here, here's the here's the historical question I'm going to ask you: It it, it uh, how did Israel gain so much territory? Because the 1948 territories don't. I looked at some maps. 1948 don't look nothing like what we have today. Uh, so how did we get to this point in 2023 where? there are kabuches, uh right up against the fence with Gaza?
1: Well, that's a very, very important question, Ed. And, and this is what I think people ought to listen to and be aware of before they make some uh, knee-jerk decisions about who's doing what and what we should do uh, in response to that. You mentioned Israel today doesn't look anything like it did in 1948, let's say. that's To me, that is the demarcation line, 1948. It was in 1948 that the Israelis became uh, uh, citizens of a country called Israel. Now, you know, I know a lot of people go back to the Bible and a lot of other religious documentation to talk about uh, Moses and the Egyptians and being out in the desert and all these kinds of things but as far as these Palestinians are concerned and these Israelis are concerned everything started in 1948 when the allies were the victors in World War II and to the uh, victor goes to spoils and as a part of that Uh, Germany tried to say that they were in control of North Africa. And when they lost the war, then Great Britain said, no, I told you I was in control of North Africa. And this proves that everything here belongs to me. At the same time, uh, you had a lot of people pulling on the coattails of the Allies saying, look what has happened to the Jewish people in Germany, in Europe, all over Europe. And we need something to be done about it. There's no better time than now. Uh, Our Torah, our Bible, our holy book says that this land that I'm pointing to on the map belongs to us and we ought to take advantage of it right now and go ahead and set that land aside uh, for the Jewish people. Going back to the United Nations uh, because of the clauses and everything written up in the rules, uh, you know, the United States had a veto vote and uh, the United States led the charge to win World War II. So anything we wanted to do, the United Nations would approve. Uh, So in comes uh, Monarchem Begin and a lot of other people and up pops the state of Israel. Well, that was not some desert land where no human beings existed. There were people there, had families, had a society, had a culture. But in order for the state of Israel to exist, these people had to go. Now I'm gonna get back into my analogies that I like to bring it back home to the community. It's like the bully in your community coming to your home saying, hey, I got some people that I need to put up, and we've decided to put them up in your house. So I'm going to be taking over a couple of your bedrooms and your kitchen and your living room, and they're going to stay here. And oh, by the way, I'm going to be giving them the means to protect themselves if you try to do anything to them, if you try to kick them out. And so in 1967, you were talking to enough neighbors and said, we can't allow this, man. This guy going to bring these people in here and put them in my house, and they going to give them shotguns and things, so we can't kick them out. So all the other neighbors get together, uh, talking about Egypt and Jordan and Syria and Libya, and everybody over there got together and said, we're going to fight Israel and kick them out. It was called the six-day war in 1967. And and Israel won that war. It only took six days because they were backed by the most powerful nation on the planet, a nation that had the atomic bomb. They won it. And uh, in in the spoils of that war, there was a, a place called the Golan Heights that they took from Syria. There was a place called the West Bank that they took from Jordan and the Gaza Strip, which we are talking about Gaza right now, that they took from Egypt. Well, over time, people went to the United Nations and say, hey, this is wrong. We admit that Israel won and da 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 but they need to give this land back. They passed a resolution that I talk about all the time, resolution UN Resolution 242, go read it. And the UN said you got to give back the Golan Heights, the West Bank, and the Gaza Strip. And Israel told them, Take a look at this middle finger and see what you think about that. And they decided not to do that. And it hasn't been done until this day. And Israel has gotten stronger and stronger and stronger. I'm going to digress just for a minute and talk about how did they get that
2: way. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. How, How did they get to be so strong?
1: Israel didn't come packing two six guns and a shotgun. They came with annual contributions from the taxpayers of the United States of America. We paid them about $8 billion a year. And it goes right to weapons and weapon systems and paying of the military and supporting the draft and all assortments of things. And from that, they also managed to be one of the nine nations on the planet that has nuclear weapons. Now, how do they do that in this short period of time? Iran, uh, Libya, a lot of other countries have been trying to get nuclear weapons for eons. They don't have it, they can't have it. Even one of your favorite countries, apartheid South Africa, they had nuclear weapons during this time frame. Of course, they don't have them now. That's another story which we can talk about later, but, Acquiring nuclear weapons is not easy. So they have nuclear weapons. Now, you ask how all this thing happened. It's simple. It's easy. It's because this guy, who's the ruler of the community, the godfather of Harlem, whomever you want to call him, John Gotti, he decides everything that goes on on planet Earth. And he decided. That Israel will be strong enough that no other country or countries within the Middle East or anywhere else will be able to challenge her authority. Whatever she says goes, whatever she wants to do has to happen, or you suffer the consequences, which in many cases would be death. So Israel now runs the Middle East with an iron fist. They were begging for an existence back in the late 40s, they were begging to after you in to make me a nation. And now they are not only holding their own, they want to run the entire Middle East. And if something doesn't happen, Ed, if some changes aren't made and people don't wake up and open their eyes, they will run the entire Middle East. Before the Saturday attack by Hamas, the big news in the Middle East was the pending negotiation summit between Saudi Arabia, Egypt, and Israel? And the, the purpose of that was to have some kind of coalition there. Those were the last two biggies of holouts. Syria had been taken care of, Iraq had been taken care of, Jordan had been taken care of. Egypt to another degree by getting so much money, they've been bought out. Libya has been taken care of. The two biggies left were a little faction in in Egypt and Saudi Arabia. And if Israel could get those two to say, we won't interfere with whatever you decide to do in the Middle East, then the West could say that they have westernized the planet. There will be no segments, no cultures, no societies, nothing left that's not Western. They did it in Africa. Uh, They did it in North and South America and Middle America. They went down under and did it in Australia and New Zealand. They have westernized the planet, guys, okay? This little small thing called Europe, the smallest population of all of the planet Earth, they have westernized the planet. And this was the last holdout. The culture of the Middle East that have their own language, they have their languages, they have their own religion, they have their own way of dressing and customs, and all. And we don't like many of them. We say they're not fair, but it's theirs. It's non Western. And if we can get there and clear that out and make it so within 30 or 40 years that you could be in. Riyadh and not know whether you are in Saudi Arabia or Chicago. That's what they want. Uh, you, you, You could be on the Nile and have that confused with being on the Mississippi. That's what they want. So this is much bigger than just the Israelis and the Palestinians. This is about the overall goal of westernizing planet Earth.
2: Well, Val, you said a mouthful but but uh, if if you're listening or watching the podcast, Val Atkinson had just uh, done a lecture <laughs> for for his history of the Middle East class uh, <laughs> uh, but but I think it's important, val. Uh, I think a lot of people just don't know in and, 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 and I have heard a lot of people. Uh, in america they just fall back to well it's in the bible which you did mention earlier and they don't think at all about the real world ramifications of this 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 has nothing to do with the bible at this point this has to do with western capitalism uh more than anything else uh we're going to take a break and on the way out there's a clip i want to show of joe biden from about 30 years ago, saying exactly that. He was on the floor of the Senate, and he said, the reason why we need to be a supporting Israel is for our economic interests. So stay right there. We'll be right back after this. Message.
0: It's about time we stop those of us who support, as most of us do, Israel in this body, for apologizing for our support for Israel. There's no apology to be made. None. It is the best... $3 billion investment we make, were there not an Israel, the United States of America would have to invent an Israel to protect her interest in the region. Clear that Israel, Israel is the single greatest strength America has in the Middle East. I always say to my friends when they say those things to you, I say, imagine our circumstance in the world, were there no Israel, how many battleships would there be? How many troops would be stationed? You know, I used to say, early on, when I was a kid, I'd say, when I was a young senator, I'd say, if I were a Jew, I'd be a Zionist. I am a Zionist. You don't have to be a Jew to be a Zionist.
1: Progress occurs in the Middle East when everyone knows there's simply no space between the United States and Israel. There is no space between the United States and Israel when it comes to
0: Israel's security. There is only one nation, only one nation in the world that has unequivocally, without hesitation, and consistently confronted the efforts to delegitimize Israel. At every point in our administration, at every juncture, we stood up on the legitimacy, on behalf of legitimacy of the state of Israel.
1: The security of
0: Israel and the United States is inextricably tied. And we will never, ever, ever abandon Israel out of our own self-interest.
1: This
2: episode is sponsored by
3: My Local CFO. Helping you build stronger growth by connecting your financial picture to your operational goals. Follow them on Facebook and LinkedIn at My Local CFO. Or visit their website at www.mylocalcfo.com.
2: And welcome back to our second segment of the The your Host, Ed Clark. That's Val Atkinson. It's Sunday, October 22nd, 2023. The world's on fire, but really not. Do, 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 do. I try to explain this to people, Val, all the time, that humans have a capacity to uh, be cruel to each other all the time. Uh, during the, the 1930s, from 1939 to 1945, almost 60 million people were killed. Uh, around the world, in 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 the whole conflict that we call World War II, uh, six million Jews, but uh, uh, ten million Russians died. And in 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 in, you can just keep naming the the groups. There was deaths in Africa. There was deaths on just about every continent, except for <laughs> North America. Uh, uh, there were proxy wars going on uh, for the longest time after. World War II was officially over in places like South America uh, and, and so on. So over the last uh, 70, 80 years, uh, millions of close to 100 million people probably have been killed around the world in wars now. Not to diminish what happened in Israel uh, back at the beginning of October when Hamas uh, invaded. Uh, you know, the numbers keep changing a lot, but, but it seems like more – Palestinians have died than Israelis, um, and in in uh, one of the big stories last week, Val was uh, a, a hospital that was hit uh, in Gaza, and and I don't know, I didn't hear it a lot on American TV, but it was the Baptist Hospital that was hit. Now they just, in the United States they just said a hospital, but it was the Baptist Hospital. And also last week, a Christian church was hit where 50 or so children and women were killed. Got no news here in the United States, none. I saw it on news from France. Um, Also saw it on the BBC, I saw it on Australian news, but didn't see the United States news. What, What I heard a lot of was the fear that the conflict was gonna expand if Israel went into Gaza like they planned to do because they told all the uh Gazans to move south, right? Um, almost a million people to move south of this line that they had said that if you're above this line, you're subject to be killed whether you're civilian or not. And and part of Joe Biden's uh talk with Bibi Netanyahu was say, hey, let's not, you know, rush into Gaza right now, give these people some time to take care of business. In addition to that, Hezbollah, who is in the north, uh, in the West Bank and Golan and 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 in that area, has started to lob bomb bombs and stuff into Israel. And there's a real fear of expanding the conflict. Uh, let's 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 wrap this thing up, Val. What is the real uh, likelihood that this conflict might expand? And if it does uh what does it mean? Uh we've seen wider conflicts in the area before, but but is this thing gonna expand?
1: The likelihood is very good, Ed. I'm I'm sorry to say that I think it has a better than 50-50 chance of expanding. Uh, you have players uh in this conflict that don't want to be seen as backing down or giving in. And when you have that, and if two of these players on opposing sides meet, uh, you can't have anything but conflict in a situation like that. And uh, I see it as a, an opportunity, actually, for sides to get together instead of sending ships to show Iran and Hamas and Lebanon how powerful the U.S. Navy happens to be and how much support Israel has outside of her borders, still doing that, they should have been sending over negotiators to say, let's talk. What are some of the things that could resolve this impending conflict and and which ones are workable and which one needs work on it? We could have done that, we chose not to. What we said in this conflict is, I'm bringing up ships. I'm bringing up military might to show Iran or whoever else may decide to get involved that we support Israel. Well, here's the smallest guy in the crowd wanting to start a fight. You let him start the fight. And then you pull out your gun to show that you in support of this little small guy and anybody, everybody better stand still, you know, be still and hush while he walks around slapping everybody oh, I'm gonna shoot you in the head with my gun. You're not a peacemaker. You're there to show somebody whose side you're on. And I, and I, I, I fault us for not taking the opportunity uh, to play another role in this thing, to stop the expansion that you talked about earlier, Ed. But I don't know that we are doing that. We are in the best position to stop the expansion. We are one of the only groups, people, countries, places in the world that Israel will listen to because we can do some things to really hurt them. Right. And so we should take advantage of this opportunity. And if we come up with a solution that is fair and just, I think the Palestinians and Hamas, and Hezbollah and all and Iran and all the others will listen to us as well. We're in a very unique situation and we don't need to be trying to convince Israel that, hey, we're on your side. Go get your pound of flesh. We will back you up, you know? Yeah. And I think we're missing a great opportunity to be a real peacemaker. This is when we need Jimmy Carter. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. Yeah, there are there are a few statesmen uh, uh, around, but but you know Val, that, that I I'm glad you brought up you know how do you come to some sort of resolution of this? Because I don't think we're ever talking about real resolution. Uh, here here's here's the the last piece I think I want to say about this is uh, if you don't come up with a resolution, then you just continue to fight over and over. This this will just flare up over and over again. If we, if we could make peace with the Germans who who set off two conflagrations, two world wars, right? That that nearly killed the whole planet. Cause, cause the World War II could have ended in the destruction of the whole planet because we didn't have a good grasp on uh, the power of the weapons that were being created then. And we dropped a bomb on Japan just imagine had that bomb been dropped, you know, in Europe and in what would have happened then uh, and had this continued to escalate and we never got back to the table with the Germans and got them to surrender. And almost immediately, the Germans were welcomed back into society. Now, I have a theory about why that is, Val. <laughs> uh, you want to hear it?
1: Yeah, I think I already I
2: think it's because they're white Europeans. Sure. And, 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 and if you look at the population of America, almost thirty percent of Americans can trace their ancestry to Germans. We 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 had a lot of German speakers in this country at one point from the inception of the country. And and so we gave them a break. Even when German prisoners were here being held. During World War II, Val, they were allowed to go shopping in Butner, North Carolina, in Durham. When black people couldn't go into the same store. Nazis. So if we can make peace with those people, I'm I'm pretty sure we could come to terms with folks living in the Middle East. Because I think we've come to terms with the Saudis. We let the Saudis cut off people's heads. And don't say nothing about it. Because they got a lot of money, uh, I I see it all the time Brad, when I'm on uh, Facebook. People are going to Dubai and Bahrain for vacations. <laughs> Who would have thought ever that people would be doing that? But they have a lot of money. They becoming Westernized. They buy Western product. And uh, Beyonce went to there to do a concert. Come on, man. So so anyway, I'll leave it there because we need to move on and talk about some problems that are actually going to affect us, Americans, the 340 million or so of us. Uh, yes, the Middle East is important, but guess what's more important, Val? We don't have a damn budget. We still don't. And the clock is ticking, and we don't have one because of some clowns. Let's take a look at this clip. This is Jim Jordan throwing in the towel.
4: We are following breaking news. Ohio Congressman Jim Jordan has lost a secret ballot over whether or not he should drop out of the race for House Speaker. Sources say 112 House Republicans voted for Jordan to remove himself as a candidate. 86 voted in favor of him remaining in the race. Now, prior to the secret ballot, Congressman Jordan lost a third vote for Speaker of the House. HE HAS RECEIVED FEWER VOTES FOR THE TOP HOUSE JOB IN EACH SUCCEEDING ROUND OF VOTING HELD THIS WEEK. CBS NEWS CONGRESSIONAL CORRESPONDENT SCOTT MCFARLAND JOINS US NOW FROM CAPITOL HILL. Uh, SCOTT, I KNOW YOU HAVE BEEN FOLLOWING EVERY TWIST AND TURN OF THIS. DOES THIS NOW MEAN THAT CONGRESSMAN JORDAN IS OUT OF THE RACE FOR HOUSE SPEAKER?
0: HE WILL NO LONGER BE A CANDIDATE FOR HOUSE SPEAKER. HE WILL NOT BE THE NEXT HOUSE SPEAKER. THIS WAS FROM THE START A POLITICAL QUICKSAND BATTLE for Jim Jordan. The more he fought, the more he twisted, the more he tried to get himself out, he sunk deeper and lost support. In a closed-door meeting, as the afternoon began, they took a secret ballot vote as to whether he should even stay in the race. Jim Jordan lost the secret ballot vote pretty overwhelmingly, so he's done. And the U.S. Ha- Jim, no jacket Jordan. <laughs> Jim
2: covering up sex abuse of boys, Jordan, Jim, let's have a hearing about nothing, Jordan, thought he was going to be Speaker of the House of Representatives. Now, they kicked out Kevin McCarthy. What made Jim Jordan think that he was going to be Speaker of the House of Representatives of the United States of America? Please tell me you know why he put his head in the ring.
1: Ego, just as simple as that. Uh, same reason that McCarthy wanted to be Speaker. And McCarthy is going to find out that being Speaker, that that the history is not going to be kind to him as he thought it was going to be for being Speaker. Uh, there will be an asterisk by his name, and it will talk about the truth of the matter, how he became Speaker, and why he went through all of the travails that he went through to be Speaker, and how long he held it, and all of the surrounding circumstances that led up to that debacle. So he may not want his great, great grandchildren to read the truth uh, about his speakership. Jordan, Jim Jordan, same thing. He hadn't learned yet. He just wants to have his name in the books to say that he was Speaker of the House, two heartbeats away from the presidency. Well, I don't believe he's gonna get that now and in North City. Uh, because he's not the kind of person that should be leading the most powerful uh, country on the planet. Uh, but 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 having said that, it just goes to show you what type of leadership exists within the Republican Party right now and why this is such a problem for the entirety of the country. Uh, you said it best, Ed, we don't have a budget. We don't have a speaker we don't have good sense anymore because of that kind of stuff and somebody needs to go in and say okay i'll be the adult in the room for today let's get things going the right way and let's make things work for the citizens of the united states of america but they don't care about that anymore so uh we're in a mess right now and you hit it on the head, Ed, when you said we don't have a budget. People seem to push that whole budgetary process in the background worrying about McCarthy and uh, Patrick Henry and uh, all of these other people. And Jim Jordan, uh, Scalise said, look, we got to have a budget, guys. You can't yeah. afford to go into a deep recession. Or a a depression at this particular point, you really, really haven't recovered a hundred percent from COVID, financially speaking. So you can't afford these kind of setbacks, and you let these guys play games uh, with the speaker and those kinds of things. One thing I remind you, Ed, or I'll I'll just go out on the limb and say this: some of those people that we see on TV and her on radio and listen to podcasts, some of those people who are vehemently talking about all of the problems with the the Republican Party and Jim Jordan and what they're doing bad, they will go down in November of next year to the poll and vote for a Republican to represent them in the U.S. Congress.
2: Well, damn, that's scary.
1: <laughs> yeah, that, that
2: even I, the, I know they will. But and you're <laughs> absolutely right. Which which, you know we we spent a lot of our time, even our time here, talking about Gaza and Israel and all this other stuff. When in fact, the enemy is within.
1: Yeah, that
2: that that, that there there's a fascist movement. And there's been fascist tendencies within the United States from the jump. And in, uh, there have been times where it's flared up and these are, this is one of those times where you have people who identify as Republicans who want an autocrat to be in charge. That's why Donald Trump still leads in the, the the dude is multiply indicted, has all kinds of problems. He's a liar, pathological liar. And we haven't even gotten to the part of the people that are pleading guilty, which we will in the next segment. But you still are right, Val, that the Republicans still have an opportunity here to maybe win the presidency, maybe take back the Senate, even with all the disarray that they had. Largely because we're more concerned about NFL. We're more concerned about Who's ranked number one in college football? We're more concerned about the upcoming college basketball season. We're more concerned about Taylor Swift, Taylor Swift, and in, and in, huh. in Kelsey, whether or not they're sleeping together or not. Right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, 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 it's the damnedest thing, but it's because we've been conditioned that the only thing that matters is can we purchase the the things that make our life luxurious compared to the rest of the world right uh, do i have a 75 inch flat screen so i can watch the super bowl on what am i going to buy, buy on black friday this year what's going to be the hot product uh, uh you know and again the, the fact that the two of us two uh, uh black men in in the latter part of our lives know about taylor swift swift <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> tells you that 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 the other side is winning, Val, and and sure. and, and, and and that's that's dangerous. Um, since you brought it up, uh, you know about people going to vote. Uh, I'll end this segment on this. Uh, let me play a clip. This is about North Carolina redistricting, and uh, 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 the. U.S. representative from out in western North Carolina, Jeff Jackson, uh, is talking about how he may lose his seat uh, in, if the uh, new districts are accepted in North Carolina.
4: North Carolina will likely send more Republicans to Congress next year.
3: This comes as the GOP and the state legislature has redrawn the election lines. There are major changes that completely change the political landscape two draft maps are out and both of them draw me out of my district and put me in one that's totally unwinnable. If either of these maps become final, it means I'm toast in Congress. Freshman North Carolina Congressman Jeff Jackson lays out his future on social media. He is one of several Democrats who will either face a hard or impossible road ahead as Jackson's district has expanded into solidly Republican counties. He sees it as so dire, he all but gives a concession speech. Being able to do this job and share it with you has been the honor of a lifetime. And I'm so grateful to everyone who has followed along. In one version, Representative Valerie Fushi completely loses Durham County. She says our democracy thrives when its representative bodies are a true reflection of its people, and North Carolina's voting maps should reflect our evenly divided state. Once again, the voters in our great state will be subject to unfair electoral maps that will disenfranchise voters and discourage civic participation. In both,
2: so Val, uh, while. Everybody was looking the other way at the state fair, eating elephant ears, or uh, in whatever else we're doing in North Carolina this week. I'm I'm back in DC, but uh, there's the Republicans try to put some maps out that take away <laughs> seats from the Democrats again, and and right now it's a split delegation. It's half and half, right? But uh, there's three seats now that are in jeopardy. Jackson's seat, Wiley Nichols seat and Kathy Manning seat for sure. That's three that could go back and then the Republicans will have this majority in the delegation again. And then on top of that, this, the, the, the districts that they've drawn for the state house and Senate would solidify their advantage there. And, and, and they could have a veto proof majority. And then we got a nutcase running for governor of North Carolina uh, who I, I hate mentioning his name, but he's he's a brother that ain't a brother from Greensboro who's a nut. And, and, uh, and, and so, Val, there is an existential crisis here in that not only in North Carolina but around the country while everybody's looking at every damn thing else. They're still got shenanigans going on with districts. What is the hope for us in North Carolina that these districts don't go into effect? And even if they do, is there any possibility to turn back the tide?
1: Well, I'm going to expand on something we talked about the last time we spoke on this subject. Ed, and I use the term and I've gotten a couple of calls on it. <laughs> I use the term kryptonite. But gerrymandering is the kryptonite to democracy. Without a doubt, some of you people who may didn't grow up in the 50s as I did, watching Superman, Superman 1, in black and white with Clark Kent and Lois Lane and Jimmy, if you didn't do that, you you didn't on a weekly basis know and understand the value of kryptonite the substance, the mineral that Superman could just look at and take away all of his powers, just fall to his knees. He was so weak he couldn't pick up a pencil. Uh, And that's what gerrymandering gerrymandering does to democracy. I wanted to find a word somewhere where people could understand. They don't sit horses. You can't have real democracy and gerrymandering. It can't be done. But that's what we have. We have what we call a faux democracy, Ed. It's fake. It's really not democracy when the minority rules. It's the exact opposite. That's what gerrymandering does. Gerrymandering sets things up so that legally speaking, the minority rules and governs over the majority. And They want to call it a legal system, and and it is, because what it means by legal, it means you have a law written down, and if you operate within that, then you are legal, but if you want to go back to the etymology of the word, democracy, you're talking about majority now. What the people want when you have three or more people, what do they want? And uh, gerrymandering has to be corralled, looked at, controlled, it has to be done away with and eliminated. If we're ever really going to understand the true value and gain the true benefit of this thing called voting, because in North Carolina, as you started off talking about now, Only one third of the people that register to vote register as Republicans. Yet there is a possibility that of our 14 congressional seats, these Republicans could own 11 of them, 11 to three. And they took that whole idea of doing it this way. When you talk about, uh, there, there was a court case uh, called uh, Ruko v. Common Cause that went in to uh, talk about uh, gerrymandering and some other kinds of things and came out saying that as long as uh, the lines being drawn does not favor or inhibit uh, people based on race, then it's okay for the lines to be drawn uh, with a political advantage to the group or the party that's drawing the lines. That in itself, right there, opened the door to say, hey, the court is saying that it's okay to German. Just don't, you know, be so obvious with it that you have race as a prominent issue. If you don't do that, we'll just do zip codes, okay? <laughs> and make it that way. And we'll do a little fracking, we'll do a little tacking, we we'll- We'll do a lot of other crazy stuff, but we won't call it racist, okay? Then we can do that. But gerrymandering, Ed, got us where we are now, where the minority is ruling. Uh, it's almost like apartheid South Africa. It's almost like uh, early century, uh, early 20th century India, uh, where the minority, very, very small minority, was a very, very, very large majority, Uh, and if we don't do something dramatic and immediate and powerful, it's going to destroy this thing we call a democracy because because when people get to the point that they see that they have the majority and they are going out and exercising their right to vote and they still are being ruled by people who are in the minority. Uh, and don't intend to change things, uh, it's going to force a question to these people saying, why am I doing this? Mm -hmm. Does my vote really count? Does my vote really matter when I can have the majority of the people on my side and the minority looks at me and gives me the finger and say, we're going to run things like we want anyway.
2: Yeah. Yeah, we do. And we hear a lot of young people all the time, Val, who say, well, why even bother? Why participate? And, and I'm always trying to counter it. Well, th- th- we're, we're in this position because you haven't participated. Mm-hmm. Uh, but again, like I said, we have our iPhone 15 and we have all this other stuff. But we, we have more sh- shit than any other you know time in history. Um hell I'm talking to you over a computer you know I mean this is the stuff from the Jetsons right uh, nobody believed this would happen so anyway I hear some music in the background let's take a break and when we come back we're going to wrap this up we want to talk about some guilty pleas in Georgia and we want to talk about uh, you know what we got to look forward to in, in terms of uh, uh, what's coming up in the, in the rest of the week so stay right there we'll be right back after this thing
4: Having diabetes means there's a lot you need to keep track of. Eating healthy, limiting sugary drinks, getting plenty of physical activity, checking your blood sugar throughout the day, and taking your medication. Oh, and balancing all of your other responsibilities, too. Thankfully, there's help. Diabetes Self-Management Education and Support, or DSMES, can help you learn strategies to manage your diabetes so you can live a healthier life. DSMES services include a diabetes care and education specialist who works with you to develop a management plan that fits your lifestyle and cultural traditions. When you first find out that you have diabetes, during yearly follow-up visits with your doctor or when not meeting treatment targets, when complicating factors develop and when new situations or major life changes affect the way you take care of yourself. Managing blood sugar is key to living well with diabetes. Healthy eating, limiting sugary drinks, staying active, and finding solutions to address life challenges while living with diabetes are the best ways to manage blood sugar. In fact, when done regularly, those healthy habits can lead to a better mood, more energy, improved sleep, and help you keep a healthy weight. What's not to love about that? Medicare and most health insurance plans cover DSMES. Ask your doctor about working with a diabetes care and education specialist. Managing diabetes can be challenging, but DSMES can help. Visit cdc.gov slash diabetes slash DSMES for more information. With support and a good management plan, you can thrive with diabetes.
2: And welcome back to our third and final segment of The Deal. I'm your host, Ed Clark. That's Val Atkinson. We've been chopping it up today. We're saving the world. Uh, we've just solved the Middle East problem. we got a new Speaker of the House. We solved that problem. we got a new budget. We solved gerrymandering. All kind of stuff that Val and I do every time we get together, Val. Hell, we don't solve anything. We, 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 we end up lamenting uh how effed up everything is really in and how do we get to uh people actually caring about each other. I, I you can't force people to. But you would you would think for the common good, right? Because look, I hear all this all these platitudes all the time about how great America is and how we were founded on this principle of, you know, Freedom and, <laughs> and then, you know, uh, uh, fighting off tyranny and oppression, and blah, 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 right? That's all they want to talk about. But then when the rubber hits the road and I say, well, you know, there's a group of people here who perhaps, uh, you know, are having a difficult time paying for college. So let's wipe away some college student loan debt. And they go, no, no, no we can't do that. Oh, no, no, let's not do that. Uh, well, you know, everybody needs health care. Let, let's work on trying to make sure everybody has universal health care. No, no, we, no, no, we can't do that. No. Uh, well, let, let's talk about affordable housing. Let, let's let's try to get, keep, you know, housing in control and make it uh, 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 loans available. No, no, we can't do that. So every time you turn around the very people who always harken back to this halcyon time in 1776, where these people had halos on their head and they were floating above the ground and they were found in the country. I'm not even going to bring up their own people. I'm not even going to bring up that, that, you know, they, they weren't Christians. I'm not even going to bring up any of that other stuff. I'm just going to bring up the fact that, you know, you want me to use a set of rules that were written in 1776 when telephones didn't exist, when airplanes didn't exist, when cars didn't exist, but nobody had any notion that you could actually bring somebody to trial uh, and not dunk them in the water to see if they floated, right? Mm-hmm. They were still doing that. Uh, they were still tar and feathering people. They were still cutting off people's heads. They were still hanging people for stealing hogs. that That's the world that we were go- in in 1776, but you want me to govern based on that. So I'm on my soapbox, valve because mm-hmm. – I'm very concerned that, you know, we have we have convinced ourselves that this bullshit of 1776 and America's, you know, always right. No matter what, whatever has led us down the road of destruction of this democracy like you were talking about before. So that leaves the door open for charlatans. So let's talk about the number one charlatan. Number 45. He is the first president that we know of. We know we know Richard Nixon was a crook. We, we, we know that Kennedy was banging Marilyn Monroe. We, we know Lyndon Johnson was not <laughs> the nicest fella. We know Woodrow Wilson was a racist. We, you know, pick a president. They got a problem. Bill Clinton liked to get Hummers in, in the Oval Office. Whatever right? Everybody's got something, except maybe Jimmy Carter. He's the only one that we could probably give a pass to, and he gets excoriated more than anybody else. So this this guy, number 45, was president at a very critical time in American history. We had just come off having a black man as president, a black man that they tried to say wasn't a citizen and all this other stuff, who actually improved their lives. But every time you ask any of those people who are MAGA supporters, uh, what do they think about Barack Obama? He's the worst thing that ever happened. (laughs) when in fact, he was the best thing that ever happened to them because Barack Obama is a capitalist to his core. He brought all those people from Harvard and Yale into his administration, and he saved the economy for those people so they can buy Mm -hmm. their TV sets, right? and they could buy their big old SUVs and whatever else they wanted. They could take their vacations. Barack Obama saved America, so they could do that. Suburbia survived because of Barack Obama. But they hate him because of what he looks like. He looks like us, Val. So they they choose somebody else, Donald Trump, who uh, I hate talking about, but you have to. So Donald Trump, led these other people down this path, Sidney Powell and uh, Mr. Chesborough, who <laughs> decided to come up with this plan that they were going to overthrow the election vow. So this week in Georgia, those two clowns
0: pled guilty. So let's take a look at it. Look the, is that the prosecutors now have a lawyer who has admitted under oath that he committed crimes in furtherance of conspiracy in which they've also alleged Donald Trump was a part. That in and of itself is pretty powerful. And if Kenneth Chesbrough gets on the stand and the first thing he's going to have to admit is he stood in a Georgia courtroom, pled guilty to a felony as a lawyer relating to the submission of these false elector slates. And the next question is, did Donald Trump know that that's what you were up to? That's compelling testimony. He may not uh, break the case wide open. And as we know. Donald Trump is alleged alleged to have engaged in a number of elements of this conspiracy. But those facts alone are pretty damning and, and I think would make Donald Trump uncomfortable if he's sitting at the defense table.
4: Chris, I need not remind you, Chesbro, Powell, they were also mentioned in Trump's federal election indictment. I wonder, based on what we saw here, how they might end up helping the special counsel.
0: Well, it wouldn't surprise me at all if uh, their lawyers have had conversations with the special counsel. I mean, pleading guilty in Georgia does create some risk for them uh, in connection with the federal case. And and I suspect that they're making themselves available as witnesses to Jack Smith as well. Uh, hard to know. Where- so, about
2: two guilty pleas, three total in the Georgia cases so far. All the people who wanted to. Hurry up and get a, a a speedy trial. Well, they got it. They pled guilty. Now they gotta testify in court against the other people. What do you think is actually gonna happen with this val? Uh, or uh, I mean, I, I know the big fish is Donald Trump. That's who, you know, they wanna finally, Willis wants to get a hold of. So you charge other people and with the hope of getting the big fish, what do these guilty pleas mean in terms of getting to the big fish?
1: I think it has more. There's more pressure on the co-defendants other than Donald Trump, and 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 what do I mean by that? Is everybody knows in this whole piece about uh, pleading guilty and and staying out of jail uh, and paying a little fine and flipping and all of that. They know the last one that flips, ain't going to get nothing. (laughs) It's about, so there's a lot of pressure now, uh, with, uh, the people who have gone that route, uh, as it were to flip as, as you may say it. They're in the clear. They've done what they needed to do. Uh, if anybody is out there thinking, should I or should I not? They maybe should call Fannie right now and say, hey, look, uh, wh- what kind of deal could you give me? <laughs> because it's going to get to the point that everybody is flipping on everybody else and the last one to the table to flip, there's no more flipping to be done. Everything's already taken care of. So uh, I think this portends very badly for 45, as you like to call it. Uh, I think by the time that uh, it gets around to him, his lawyers are going to either tell him, look, man, you try to get yourself a plea deal and get out of here. We may even find some of the people that are his lawyers, and that they may take a walk themselves. They may ask the judge to allow them to recuse themselves from that case, so that they don't lose their law licenses uh, and and end up in jail themselves. Uh, so it, it doesn't look good from this point on. Once they start this process, it's like dominoes falling, and you can see them falling from the sky. So I think forty-five is in trouble, and we haven't even started talking about one-six and the classification documents and those kinds of things yet. That's yeah. that's that's still to come.
2: Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think it's really wearing on him too, Val. You can see it in his demeanor and, and how he uh how he goes on in uh, and, and deals with the uh you know the the court uh he was in New York again uh in court uh where he didn't really need to be and um you know so there's there's a there's a lot more to come Val and and I don't know uh when or how this ends. I just want him to go away. <laughs> and, and and that's not happening uh fast enough for me. You, you know, uh I I think I, when we started off, Val, uh I was clear about the fact that we were not gonna solve any problems today. We were not gonna come up with any solutions to anything. Uh, I I thought it was important, though. Again, that we talk about some history and we talk about some reality of what's going on in the Middle East. Uh, for the average American, it, it has no effect on them at all, at all. You, you can I mean, if you're in North Carolina right now, and if you're at the state fair or whatever else, you you may look at it on TV, but you know, you're not in any mortal danger of dying from a Hamas missile or Hezbollah missile. Right. Uh, but what you are, uh, really, really trying to uh, protect yourself from are the folks who will lie to you and, and again, get you to vote for Republicans again, (laughs) like you were warning Val that that's the real danger here. So, um, You know, as we always do, I ask you, Val, what what are you working on? Anything we need to think about? Anything coming up in the week ahead?
1: Yeah, well, you know, I I spent a lot of time talking about gerrymandering and putting a lot of feeling into it because it's very dear to my heart. And and, uh, I'm still uh, in the throes of the second edition of my second book called Distractions. And uh, having not finished yet, Uh, I am going to spend an inordinate amount of time uh, taking away from some other chapters and putting it in gerrymandering. That's how strongly I feel about this subject. I don't think it's being given enough time because if something is not done frontally to this whole piece, uh, it's going to affect the whole electoral process. And it, it, it'll get to the point where people will question whether it matters that we vote or not. And once that happens, you fundamentally lost democracy. So Thank I'll you. be spending some time to answer your question and doing what I can. Uh, there, uh, I want people that watch and listen to the deal uh, to be watching for uh, some pieces that I'm going to put pen to paper and do a little op-ed work here on the whole subject of gerrymandering, because I've got to do something. I can't just sit still and watch it happen. Something has to change about the way we handle gerrymandering. There are about 13 states that have gone to the issue of having a gerrymandering, a redistricting commission that is bipartisan, that is non political. That's step one, that's not the answer by no means. That is a step within the process, but we, we've we got to do something. This North Carolina is leading the way in showing you what ultra gerrymandering can do and how it can kill democracy. And I think we're going to go down as one of the examples as a state, what not to do if you want to save democracy. And we have gerrymandering, gerrymandered North Carolina into almost a non-democratic state. We've got to change. We've got to reverse it and go back the other way.
2: Yeah, without a doubt, Val, I'm, I'm glad you're working on that. And, and we most definitely will keep in touch on, on, on those things. You know, Val, uh, I've been in D.C. on and off for the last uh, couple of months. Uh, it, it's, it's really weird being in D.C. Uh, close to, all this stuff, because even there, in the midst of all that's going on, people are still going about their business. They're worried about the Washington commanders losing. They're worried They're worried about, you know, crime in, in the District of Columbia and surrounding areas, stuff like that. And all the while, the, the political commercials you see coming out of uh, Virginia look a lot like what you see in North Carolina, right? It's it, the Republicans you know, have, have a degree of control because they can gerrymander their way into control. When we know that Virginia is a lot like North Carolina, where you got, uh, people who are not as conservative, I don't even call it conservative, who are not as crazy (laughs) as the people who vote Democrat, but they somehow managed to wrangle their way into control. and, And I think it's a problem. Now, if you're on the other side, you probably think I'm wrong and you think it. It you guys are doing the right thing. You are not. Let, let me state that emphatically. You are not doing the right thing. You're not taking care of your fellow citizens in the state of North Carolina, Virginia, uh, Iowa, all these places where you've managed to gerrymander your way into control. You're not taking care of your citizens. You're not doing right by democracy. Uh, uh, we're all going to die, Val. I, but I, I'd like to be alive to see the time when people start doing the right thing, and we get rid of these gerrymandered uh, races, and and we start to explore getting rid of stuff like the electoral college, seriously, uh, right. and and actually be a functioning country and not just be a consumer group that a, <laughs> that the capitalists can exploit. Right. And and, and I'll leave it there. So, guess what? As I always do, I tell you to go out and do something good for somebody today, and I really do mean that, and come back with us next time. Make sure you subscribe to the deal. That way I don't have to chase you down. Every time we have a new program, you'll see it. Uh, It'll pop up on your thing. Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, you name it. We're everywhere. Anchor, wherever you find your fine podcast, please subscribe. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you.